listening to the Renegade Economist, investigating monopoly profits, great corruption, and the policy solutions demanded. Geeky but essential, the tools to the fairest and most efficient economic system awaited. With your host, Carl Fitzgerald. And listeners, welcome to the 598th episode of the Renegade Economist's here with your host, Carl Fitzgerald. And this month, we are joined by one of those intelligent types you never hear about in the press, but uh, they're always in the background doing great things and making the world a better place. We don't have to interview superstars each and every episode on this show because there are plenty of you out there hiding in plain sight, involved in each and every community in, in all sorts of different ways. And today we have the one and only Mr. Dominic Gilligan, who's an activist friend of mine, describes himself as uh, an atypical Gen Xer. I always see similarities in what Dominic's sort of uh, life path to my own in, in trying to work outside the system, trying to change uh, the world for a better place. And so, Dominic, uh, welcome finally to the Renegade Economist. Yeah, well, I, this is, uh, I'm a bit blown away because I've, I remember when you started and I, I can't believe, what is it, 600 episodes nearly? nearly. It's crazy. Oh, that's just insane. That's uh, just hats off to you. Congratulations. Uh, you'll get to the 600, I think. And then um, I hear there might be a change coming. But anyway, that's uh, I think 3CR's blessed to have dedicated economics, proper evidence-based stuff and a little <laughs> extra stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's great uh, to be here. We better give some background on on, yeah. um, on your setup. You've basically been a member of Prosper Australia for quite some time, but um, how did you yeah. come about it all? Yeah, look, I, I, I don't remember. All, there was so much that happened back in the early, early part of this century, around 2000, 2001. There was a lot going on. It was a very intense time in Melbourne of change, good change, lots of positiveness. Um People were still ultra positive, uh, more than they are now. And so this big festival came along. I got heavily involved in the festival, it both initially as a volunteer, then I got a contract anyway. So through that festival, the Sustainable Living Festival, I met a bunch of people, including yourself and all your crew. And I I thought, wow, this this is great. There's a crew in Melbourne and they, they're – they're dedicated to this, you know, economic stuff. And I thought, shit, I need to know about this. Um, and unlike my other SLF friends, uh, colleagues, they, yeah, they were, at best, they were interested in ecological economics, which is a different angle. It's the costing of everything, which I did learn more about through Prosper, which I'm grateful. But what I was really interested in was the stuff I knew nothing about and, and yeah, that that kicked off my understanding of things, which I think we're going to talk about today. Yeah, but you know, just a bit about your background. What, what did you study at uni? Yeah, sure. Well, look, I I was a science head at, at high school, and but I I had my hand in economics as well in high school. Um, can't say it would inspired me to do anything, 
Uh, this, I was leaning towards environmental sciences. I didn't end up there immediately because I had a big breakdown in, in high school and it took me years to get on back on where I thought I might be able to tackle environmental stuff, which is what I was kind of, as, even as a teen, I, that was my thing and immersed in that to a, to, to a significant degree. Um, so I kind of missed out on the first bite at uni uh, and I went into arts, performing arts, which has been very useful in the meantime to, to help me with things like like speaking properly on this interview. So, uh, yeah, look, I, 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 I had a focus. I got into biology because that was – I had – contact but I learned a lot I got involved in things and I, I guess that's really where I you know, started to become an activist in those days unis were places where it did happen and people did get involved in things I'm not too sure now but yeah nothing much to do with the economy really just we were aware of what was going on sort of but we were focused on you know all the big issues of the day which of course emerging climate change issue and all that and and I I eventually went it steered off into horticulture environmental design and and just settled into environmental design and but I retained my involvement in several organizations yeah d- listeners Dominic's the guy I call when I want to know uh, background on biochar or uh, combustion stoves, uh, rocket stoves, any of those sort of things. He's all over it. Uh, He hasn't mentioned the P word yet, but uh, Dom was the first one who came to our property in Braybrook uh, to to help us get our heads around a bit of a permaculture design there that Mm. then led to the power plants community nursery a few years down the track so um yeah we're you know it's nice to have uh, evolved over time with people like yourself and now you're down in Inverloch Uh, what are you up to Mm. down there yeah well uh, I I've uh, run this place we the place is called Inverloch Sustainable Living and it's actually registered on the on the census uh form twice so uh and yeah so rather than registering a business which I, I kind of feel working for yourself it's having a business name you might as well just use your own name but this I like the idea of being place-centered so I, I really focus on running activities through this place name, Inverloch Sustainable Living and we do uh accommodation to bring in money I tried educational courses it was very difficult a lot of competition um i will get better at it and i'll bring in other people but um the accommodation brings in money and it gives you an immersive experience in sustainable living so you don't actually have to uh study formally or or just you know you just you just suck it in basically by being here uh the the people that really get the great training though are the volunteers and we've had gazillions of volunteers through various programs uh, mostly international but also Australians um, and that's all died back now because of restrictions in travel but uh, yeah that's that's they get excellent uh, exposure to pretty much a whole range of stuff of course uh, from a land design point of view from specific skill sets to like uh, you know garden uh, how to garden with without importing huge amounts of uh, material how to recycle without depending on the you know the mainstream recycling system which of course is increasingly dysfunctional um and i was one of the first people to uh to point that out and, and it took 
a decade or two before um, it collapsed and I'm not surprised. I do exploit it though. I use it to my advantage. But anyway, that's another story. Uh, but yeah, lots of lots of living and learning happens here. We had a child uh, temp- sort of half living here for five years uh, who was homeless and this little community essentially took him, embraced him and he grew up using this place uh so he got a lot of attention he was my number one student although he didn't like being as me calling him a student he just wanted to be you know a, a friend or a, a me to be a big brother and that's that's great that's a great way to learn and uh, uh so yeah. yeah and at the moment and at the moment i'm just teaching myself big new things so as, that's, as we're all having yeah. to do during this covid yeah. crisis uh, that's it I yeah. was very happy to receive a workaway application from a young woman today who's uh, based in Melbourne, can't travel, but uh, dying mm. to get out of town and learn things. Yeah. And, you know, mm. that's what people living in regional areas who have that's right. relied on travellers to help provide that extra 10 15% help around the land uh, are really mm. missing. So, um yeah, I can't mm-hmm. wait till we get a few more people coming up to visit uh, us here on Indeed. the farm. So, uh, yeah, Dominic, uh, you know, one of the things I like, you know, one of the, the founding statements of my life has, you know, that statement you brought up with uh, real intelligence involves looking outside the square. And, uh, you know, to to think that uh, we're brought up within this economic paradigm where it's labour versus capital, um, mm. to see through that and see how the land game really um, takes a hold of our lives. So what, what's your sort of take on how that operates and and what sort of realisation did you come to when, when that dawned on you? I could see that uh, the... The, what was then called the triple bottom line, uh, the corporate tools that were available were there was the triple bottom line approach and early accounting methods like that and then there was some other thing that came from the US. They were fine for that 10% of the people that worked in, in that corporate world but for everyone else it was kind of useless because it was just way too complicated and expensive and so you know, you have to ground yourself in something. And I thought, well, okay, here's this organisation. They've grounded themselves. They're 100 and something years old and they've got solid research-based stuff and they're not just pulling stuff out of the air. Um, So I thought I better go and to listen to presentations. I went to Economics for Activists course, which you ran, I'm pretty sure. It was you and uh, mainly you. And I love that course because it – gave you an unbiased, a relatively unbiased look at the system as it is. And we were in a particular part of the credit cycle at that point, um, right at the end of it. And so that gave us a, that gave me a mind-blowing view of what, of why things were happening the way they were. And I thought, okay, this makes sense now. I, I understand why the world is behaving the way it is given that we're at the end of the second credit cycle in the land credit, uh, 20-year land credit cycle, 18.6. So, yeah, it uh, it all started to come together around that time. I went to a few other presentations and, like, the penny dropped very quickly on 
the Georgia stuff. Like that was like, duh, you know, like of course we should be taxing natural resources and anything that has, you know, is given to us. And then we don't have to tax all these other things. But we, of course we've got it upside down uh, at the moment. Although it is correcting, uh, thanks to Prosper and a few other organisations, things are changing. But uh, at that point, things were upside down. So I, I, I wanted to. I just wanted to understand, have a reintroduction to economics, because high school didn't do it for me. But, but the stuff I was learning through Earth Sharing Prosper was definitely okay. This is interesting. This makes sense. This is grounded. This is research based. I'm seeing excellent presentations. I'm not just seeing you know, high school teachers or uni teachers regurgitating stuff that they, they'd been forced to teach. Mm. So, and and yeah. so as, you know, for me, one of, you know, the, the, the ultimate hypothesis is to mm. put any theory into mm. what's happening in your life and what you see, particularly mm. Mm. when you travel into new lands yep. and it's it, yep. all of a sudden things seem easier to grasp when you're out of your usual comfort zone. Okay, so the things are going through my my financial responsibilities to myself, I didn't take them very seriously. But one thing I did take seriously was I had to pay fees to banks. So I thought, well, you know, how the frick do I get out of paying fees to my Bendigo Bank, who at that time was the best, you know, most ethical bank? That's still okay. Um, so, and I had to become a shareholder, have 500 shares. I thought, oh, shit, I don't want to buy shares. That's not me. I don't do that. Uh, that's changed since then. But I thought, okay, when's the right time to buy shares? And I realized, Okay, I, if I understand this cycle of of boom and bust and how the stock market rises and falls, I can pick the right time to buy these shares, get them at a good price, and then they'll rise in price, and then I can flog them off again, and later on, and I'll save all this money on fees, and I'll come out ahead. And I thought, wow, this is great. I love this. You know, I'm actually going to get ahead. <laughs> we better break that down for the listeners. So okay. many of you would have heard past podcasts with people like Phil Anderson, Akhil Patel, and uh, Prosper's own Catherine Cashmore. Uh, also, the master himself, Fred Harrison, who I must infomercial you with the news that he's presenting our 130th annual Henry George address. We can't call it a dinner this year with Delta running rampant. So please uh, check out the show notes, check out prosper.org.au to find the details to that. Uh, Fred Harrison really uh, popularized what WD Gann had put forward. Uh, Yeah, really the best book on this that I've read uh, was Phil Anderson's The Secret Life of Real Estate and Banking, which took us through the um, financial, uh, the GFC downturn and in that point. Can I just add to that now that you've mentioned it, he seeing his presentation way back before the GFC, he'd already published, I'm pretty sure he'd already published he had, the book. Yeah. Uh, yes. And so he was basically saying, well, this is what's going to happen. And I thought, wow, this guy is super confident. How can he be that confident? No, I've never seen any economist, and he is an economist, be that confident in in timing. And so I saw the whole presentation. I questioned everyone around me. I questioned. I looked at him, and I saw the book there, and I thought, okay, the presentation was impeccable. He uh, he he literally sat down and researched the history of the U.S. Someone else had already done the UK. I think it was Harrison yeah, it or was whatever. It was Fred Harrison, yep. Okay, yeah. So I thought, well, okay, that no one's done Australia yet in bits and pieces. Then eventually someone did Australia. but And I thought, wow, that's that's 
that's a that's a big chunk of the world's economy's economic situation. And I thought that's this this is in, this is really hardcore. This is basic, you know. This is ground level stuff. This is stuff that you can now pin some ideas to, and that's that. What led me to think, okay, well, now I can start planning ahead. I can start planning my life better, and I can plan my finances better and so forth. Yeah. yeah. Talking about looking outside the square, though, we better set some historical yeah. context to okay. it. And, you know, you think of uh, the importance of uh, uh, time cycles and in particular lunar cycles and uh, look at uh, places like uh, Stonehenge. Uh, there's one in Scotland called Kalanish and uh, Chaco Canyon in New Mexico, and they all pay homage to uh, this lunar cycle that seems to oscillate around the Earth uh, uh, and complete its rotation every 18.6 years on a particular elliptical path. So, uh, yeah, there's always been this fascination with the way the Moon and the Earth interact and those influences of gravity. So uh, for me to see those sort of historical markers um, alongside the work of W.D. Gann and, and those who went before him. There was a guy um, named Brenner I've only just recently learned about who was talking about this in the 1870s. So, yeah, it really is, you know, left-field thinking, but you're, you've put this to work now, Dominic Gilligan. Yeah, I, I, I'm happy to talk about that. I just wanted to backtrack just slightly. You talked about places around the world that have solar and lunar calendars. There are some in Australia too, the Aboriginal various Aboriginal cultures of Australia had them. I've just learned about one. It's very remote and it's kept. People don't, they don't give it a, a very definite location. They don't want people to just rock up. And you can understand why a lot of damage has been done to sites, well, massive damage all over Australia. So, but it's there. Um, an academic, many uh, academics have been invited to go there and check it out, but not the public. Uh, there's other ones in Australia too. So, the solar and lunar cycles were well known to Aboriginal Australia. Just wanted to point that out. Thank you. So going back to your question. How did you apply it? How do I apply it? Well, initially it was just the share, the Benigo Bank shares. I just wanted to have enough shares so I could avoid fees. I do remember doing, for the benefit of SLF, I was pro bono by that stage, I was doing the best place to put your savings and the most, most ethical but at the highest rate. Of interest, of course, that's irrelevant now with the low interest. But back then, you could get some returns. I now don't do the banks anymore. I don't care about them anymore in terms of savings. They're just useless. Um, I've shifted over to managed funds, and that's where I keep my savings. And uh, I also thought, well, hey, if I'm going to buy Benigo Bank shares. Let's see what else I can do. And I came in at just the right time. Uh, I missed, to be honest, I missed the first one. The, I missed that um, that perfect buy-in time just after the GFC from, so say, 2009 to 2011. It's a perfect time to buy any bank shares so that you can sit on something nice and solid, uh, any blue chip stuff. Um, and Benigo Bank, by the way, is a blue is considered blue chip, um, but they're ethical. So, but I missed that opportunity because I was a little afraid. I didn't want to spend put all my savings in there. I didn't have a lot of money. What happened after that is I 
so I didn't do it and I was I sort of kicked I kicked myself and I watched myself kick myself I went to a, a meeting of a local bank uh, enter- financial enterprise that I'm part of the community bank which is attached to Bendigo fortunately our bank our financial enterprise our franchise of Bendigo <coughs> Uh, did make money out of it. They actually were tipped off by the Benigo Bank saying, hey, look, you know, great time to buy shares. So they put a bunch of savings in there and then they reaped the rewards, you know, about five years later or whatever it was. And that just got them through a difficult period and, and made us more financially independent locally. So here's an internet, here's a national situation helping helping a local enterprise uh which is essentially exploiting this boom-bust 20-year, you know, 18.6 year cycle. And I thought, this is fantastic. <laughs> I wish I'd just done it myself. Anyway, so now fast forward uh, 17, 18, 19 years to net, to, reach the, to 2020 and I thought, nah, this is it. This is my big chance. And so I did. I, 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 I set everything up properly and, um, and I took calculated risks. I didn't play with money that, that – was gonna, you know, for paying for food and and you know car registration and things like that. Uh, I used money that I could sort of afford to lose, but of course I haven't lost. I've done very well, um, and that's just by understanding the cycle. Um, yeah, and I know that other savings I've got uh, are doing well, uh, and now it's a question of I'm actually pitting professional. Uh, uh, funds against my own abilities and we're about neck and neck at the moment so I don't want to and I'm not going to push it too hard because I know the very the ones I've chosen are very very good at what they do and they're ethical so uh, at some point I'm going to let go of trying to play this system uh, because it's going to get too complex as we go towards the end of the cycle Um, but uh yeah, so I, look, it's 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 a way for low-income people like me to make the most of their money, basically. Uh, I've never had a high income. Uh, I may have one day, but, you know, I've got to make the most of what I've got and to me this is a smart way of doing it. Uh, it's not illegal. In fact, it's, you know, the information's all out there. It's just that most people couldn't be bothered getting involved. They just leave it up to their super fund, but super funds are expensive, basically. Um, and they don't always make the right timing uh, with their decisions. And there's a lot of fat in the system uh, that they take. Incredible anyway. amount of commission, isn't it? That's crazy. Yeah, they, look, it, to be honest, uh, they are. there's been a huge pressure since the com- uh, Royal Commission into banking and so forth. Uh, they have c- dropped m- my fund. Uh, I use Australian Ethical uh, who are now share listed as ASX listed fund? Uh, they they have been dro- they have responded to pressures and have consistently dropped. They've dropped them twice since the Royal Commission came into place because they knew that people were choosing other ways of, of saving, and I'm one of them. You know, I just thought no, nah. and and I, I I deliberately, even though their their rates have got better, I still haven't. I still don't use their super fund as much as I use other funds that they have because there's too it's just too restricted it there's there's too still too many issues with with super um it, it it's yeah you've got to be a full-time or three-quarter time worker or at least 
25 hours a week for, for super a classic super fun to work properly. If you're not, which is probably most youth today, you need a better option. And I think if I was going to advise younger people, I would steer them into these better options along with an understanding of this of this credit land cycle um, and just steer them out of trouble, yeah. Young people, they've got so many challenges. They've got their uh, hex debts. Uh, they've got mm. the gig economy. They've got record mm. low wage growth. They've got mm. all these boomers and Gen Xers mm. who uh, are benefiting from the first come, first served uh, economic framework we live under. So, yeah, uh, mm. yeah a little bit of uh, left field financial advice from Dominic Gilligan <laughs> in Inverloch. Yeah, well, I, like if I look, if I had three lifetimes, uh, I'd seriously think about becoming a like getting my registration as an advisor. Yeah, well, good one, Dom. As a you know, as a relatively recent investor in the share market, that's great to hear your story. Um, mm. It seems like a lot of people have made good returns in the last year. Let's see what happens in this run up to the the twenty twenty six peak in the mm. land uh, cycle. Uh, some are predicting it's, you know, we haven't seen anything in terms of house prices yet. So, uh, mm. yeah, hopefully that uh, strengthens your resolve, doesn't uh, wilt you at the knees because, yeah, our survival instincts have to kick in to keep up with uh, uh, this easy credit, easy uh, speculative nature of our economy. And that's why, uh, you know, we need outlets uh, such as 3CR to uh, yeah, yeah. to push push people's uh, thinking into alternative areas yeah. that, that they wouldn't, won't consider. But, yeah, there yeah. are a number of funds that have been set up around this 18-year cycle. Australian Ethical and other organisations, they're aware of the cycle. They don't bang on about it because people don't really care <laughs> about the language and, and the, the timing. They just want the, the super funds and the investment funds and the banks to have it sorted. They don't they don't want to have to actually deal with the nitty-gritty, whereas I like the nitty-gritty. I, I don't want them to make all the money. I'd rather have some of it come my way and then I can fund, you know, I can start, I can donate to the organisations that I love. Uh, Dominic, we better start to wrap up, but I wanted to ask a, a big question that many listeners will probably be grappling with. How do you marry up your ethical mm. principles with, mm. you know, a buy-in to late-stage capitalism? So I, there is that screening process happening. I, I, I use Australian Ethical's list of companies. I also have my own, you know, screen. Uh, that aside, you go, oh, yeah, but it's still the stock exchange. And you go, yeah, and we all live in this world. We're not inseparable from it. As soon as you walk into a Bunnings and buy something, you are stepping into the stock exchange. So you're involved whether you, as a consumer, whether you like it or not. So why not benefit a little more? But knowing that there's a time to get in and get out, uh, is it is it... Is it going to last forever? No, of course not. No civilization lasts forever, and that's yeah. I do. I did. I have an ethical problem with the stock exchange. Whether there's an idealistic twenty-something-year-old uh, activist, yes, because I was naive. Now I see that it's about what you do, how you do it, and what your end goal is. If you're there just to make money and screw the world, well, that's a shitty intention. But I've got 
plans, you know, I know that this process of engaging with late stage capitalism, as you're calling it, uh, is going to be a very useful um, set of tools pathway to getting my goals and the goals of my uh, family, friends, and the organisations that I care about it includes PBSFM, includes Prosper Australia, includes the Sustainable Living Foundation. At some point, some sometimes Friends of the Earth, uh, depending on whether they're pissing me off or not, uh, and you know other organisations. Hopefully, three CR there too. Yeah, three CR, of course. Yeah, excellent, Dominic. Well, uh, yeah, really appreciate that. Um, good to talk to you know, an everyday activist who's, you know, trying to make the world a better place and... Uh, can, I just, can I just point out one thing? I've always called myself a pro-activist because ever, ever since I met the founders of Permaculture, the Movers and Shakers, way back, I saw that the best... I saw that I'd relate to activism that brought about change with a positivity uh, and uh, action on the ground. And... Uh, that you can resist and create at the same time and have the emphasis on creation. So I've always called myself a pro-activist. Nice one. Not an activist. Good way to end. Well, thanks so much, Dominic. Um, I really appreciate your time. Thank you. No, No worries. Thank you. Heaps.